Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Rachel Myro and for Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum. That's the call of a great gray owl, one of about a dozen owl species at home in California. Owls are magic. In What an Owl Knows, the new science of the world's most enigmatic birds, Jennifer Ackerman writes being near one makes her feel smaller in her body and bigger in her soul. They're so beautifully adapted to their environment and so full of surprises for humans. Join us for an hour of tribute to these gorgeous creatures. That's coming up next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Rachel Myro in for Mina Kim. What is it about owls that captures the human imagination? Well, to start with, those huge eyes, those mournful calls, the spooky, silent flight for prey. You can find owls all over the world, except for Antarctica, in mountains, forests, deserts, meadows, even California metro regions. Some cultures associate owls with wisdom and prophecy. Others consider them frightening portents of bad luck, illness, even death. But new scientific research is revealing surprising facts about these beautiful birds, which is why I'm besides myself this morning at the opportunity to talk with Jennifer Ackerman, author of the, uh, sorry, What an Owl Knows. <laughs> I was just looking at my notes, uh, Jennifer, and looking at your previous bird books. You've written The Bird Way, a new look at how birds talk, work, play, parent, and think, and the genius of birds. Um, was this book the most fun, or are you just like a bird nut all across the board? <laughs> I am a bird nut all across the board. However, this book was really um, 
it was spectacular to work on, in large part because these birds are so different. They're just so unlike other birds. And there's, they've been, you know, our species has been obsessed with owls for a very long time, and they're just so unique. So, um, yeah, and, and also the people that study them are very unusual and wonderful. So it was, it, it was really great fun to work on this book. I have to say it was great fun to read it. Uh, and, you know, the, the biggest takeaway for me uh, was that owls are not a monolith. They, they have, there's so many different kinds. They differ in size and look and in personality. But they do all seem to share some obvious traits. And I'm wondering if you can just start with those eyes. Why are they so big? Yeah, so they have... Um, They're big, and they're also forward-facing, which is very unusual in the bird world. Uh, They they have um, binocular vision, and this is a tremendous tool for them in in hunting. So they... uh, it allows them to really track a moving target in a way. Most birds have their eyes on the sides of their heads, and that gives them a very wide field of view so that they can see predators coming. But uh, owls are, are different. They're, they're, their whole visual system is geared toward um, zeroing in on their prey. So they have these very big eyes. I like to tell people that, you know, if my eyes were the size um, in relation to my body as an eagle, uh, Eurasian eagle owls is to its body. My eyes would be about the size of an orange and weigh four pounds. So these are big eyes in relation to their bodies. No wonder we were transfixed by them. Uh, what about those ears? I was stunned to discover uh, owl ears are asymmetrical and that owls use them to see in addition to those binocular eyes. Yes. So this is true for some owls. So owls that um, that hunt primarily by hearing, they have um, what's called a facial disc, which is actually a kind of a almost like a feathered satellite dish to collect sound and channel it toward their ears. And um, some of species, as you say, they have asymmetrical ears, and that really allows them to uh, to triangulate on their prey. So they are listening for very, very faint sounds, and they are able to determine the location of these sounds to just an extraordinary degree of accuracy. The the hooting, the hooting is also, I was surprised to discover, not universal. Uh, also, the owls are incredibly talkative. They, they scream, they bark, they rasp. Uh, they can even mimic other creatures like like rattlesnakes. <laughs> what, what do we know about how their their uh, their chatter varies between? Uh, the different subspecies. Yes. So, um, you know, I grew up thinking, well, an owl's hoot is a hoot is a hoot. You know, that was, it was, that was what, how they vocalized. But um, it turns out that after some very fascinating studies, there's, they found that, that there's tremendous variation in the vocalizations of owls and that their vocalizations actually carry a lot of um, meaning. And they're, they're loaded with information about the, the size of the owl, the weight, its um, sex, its individual identification, and even its state of mind. Um, and so owls, you know, they don't just hoot. They actually uh, squawk, they chitter, they squeal, uh, a whole range of vocalizations. And each owl has a um, an individual voice that's almost like a fingerprint signature uh, for that owl. And one of the really interesting things is that this um, new understanding of the individual voices of owls 
really allows us to do two things. Um, first of all, to monitor their populations more closely, which um, is really important for conservation. And also, it allows us to um, to keep an eye on their um, social lives, really. So to figure out who's mating with whom. And as it turns out, you know, we thought owls were monogamous, but in fact, there's a lot of mate switching that goes on in the but owl world. Is it mate switching within seasons, or is it more like serial monogamy? Uh, no, sometimes it's mate switching within seasons. Wow. Um, and it it, uh, it was a great surprise to, to the researchers who are studying this. Um, and, and just also, you know, kind of a wonderful window into just how complex the social lives of owls are. Uh, we're just beginning to, to, you know, scratch the surface of this. Do we understand what owls are saying to each other? To a degree we do, yes. Um, one of the clear pictures we've gotten is about the the uh, use of their territorial calls. You know, owls are, um, they, they primarily establish their boundaries through their hooting, through their um, territorial calls. And it's very important for them because uh, they, they really don't fight physically. You know, it's too risky. If you get a, a talon in the eye or something, it's really game over for an owl. So they battle vocally, you know, and they establish their, their boundaries. And the, uh, you know, one male owl will respect another's territory, you know, based on the this whole kind of conversation that they have using their vocalizations. Wow. Wow. And, you know, I, I imagine, too, a, a lot of male birds have to go to great lengths to not just uh, uh, protect their territory, but to attract a mate and maybe oh, keep her. Yes, they do. <laughs> yes, they do. And some of the, the mating rituals, I found absolute courtship rituals. Fascinating. I'm, there's a... Um, the short-eared owl really just blew me away because this is an owl that does something called a sky dance, and it goes way up in the air, almost like a like a red-tailed hawk, or, or way way up in the air, and then it drops suddenly and it claps its wings beneath it like it's applauding its own performance. <laughs> but it's designed to impress the female, really. Um, so this is one one way that owls draw mates. And then, as you said, they also use their vocalizations. And um, the the northern sawwit owl is is an owl that just it has a very simple call. It's sort of a toot toot toot. Um, and it uses these calls something like 160 times a minute to try to draw in a female. So it's this; it expends enormous energy um, on these vocalizations to to draw in a mate. And they have to go to great lengths to uh, to keep both the mom uh, fed, and then once the chicks hatch, the chicks. Yes, yeah. and you know it is one of the extraordinary things. The it's owls hard are, out there for a male owl. It is. It is. It's hard for all owls, um, but they are such skilled hunters, um, and you know they they can take prey. As you said, there's tremendous diversity in the size of owls. You know they range in size from uh, the the Blackiston's fish owl, which is the biggest owl, or the Eurasian eagle owl, uh, also has almost a six foot wingspan. Huge bird all the way down to the elf owl, which is a tiny little, like, nugget of a bird, and it's kind of like the size of a pine cone. So they all they, they eat a range of things, and, like, a Eurasian eagle owl can take very large prey, you know, rabbits, um, even something as big as a small roe deer they can, they can um, hunt and, and capture. 
and kill. And um, so the, they're very, very skilled hunters, owls are, and, and they bring in lots and lots of prey for the, their, um, for the female and also for the young to eat. We're talking about all things owls <laughs> with Jennifer Ackerman, science writer and author. Her new book is What an Owl Knows, the New Science of the World's Most Enigmatic Birds. What are the questions you have for this uh, owl expert here in studio today? Email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We're at KQED Forum. And, of course, you can... Take the old-fashioned approach and give us a call at 866-733-6786. Now that you've picked up your phone, 866-733-6786. We already have comments coming in. Cherry in Glendale asks, which are the largest in California, great horned or great gray? Uh, Great grays are bigger than great horns. Um, But the thing about great grays, I've been very close to one. They they look enormous, um, but it's they're almost all feathers. And so if you if you can actually see or um, hold a bird, you're, it's astonishing how light they are because, you know, really their mass is just this huge number of feathers. They, uh, you know, owl flight is, uh, I guess, typically buoyant uh, and slow and graceful and silent. Uh, and it, it doesn't seem to matter whether you're talking about a wee owl or, or a huge one. This is true. It's really, I think, one of the wonders of the animal world is an owl's quiet flight. And over evolutionary time, they've just um, acquired these adaptations, which are so beautiful. And uh, they include, as you say, this... um, what's called low wing loading. So their wings are big in relation to their body size. So they kind of float in this buoyant flight. But then their their wings have... um, several features that, that that quiet their flight, that hush the usual sound that, that flapping makes. And bird, bird flapping generally makes a lot of noise. I mean, feathers are very noisy structures generally. They, they rustle and they rasp and they swoosh and but owls have these features that actually quiet the turbulence that, um, the, of the air that passes over them. So that quiets them. And then also the wings are covered with um, plush fibers that are, they call them velvet. And if you ever touch an owl's wing, it's just as soft as rabbit's fur. It's just amazing. And these plush fibers also quiet the flight. Um, so owls make you know, virtually no sound when they fly. Oh, my goodness. Well, I'm glad humans make sounds. We are talking with Jennifer Ackerman, whose fabulous new book is What an Owl Knows, The New Science of the World's Most Enigmatic Birds. Uh, I I don't often gush, but uh, this is one to gush about and get to the owl lover in your life, uh, immediamente. Give us a call now to join the conversation, 866-733-6786. Email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org. But whatever you do, stay with us. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. 
We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Rachel Myro in for Mina Kim, talking today with Jennifer Ackerman, science writer and author. Her new book is What an Owl Knows, The New Science of the World's Most Enigmatic Birds. And, you know, as we were going into the break, I I was going to get to uh, the stunning discovery for me anyway, that there's like more than a dozen uh, owl varieties within California alone. Uh, most of them native, but but I imagine that there are also uh, some non-natives who have come in to, you know, spread spread the love, as it were. Yes, I mean, I I think the diversity of owls in California is is wonderful. It's really um, and it, the owls are so uh, adaptable in many ways that they and they and California has so many environmental niches, so many different kinds of habitats. So that's one of the reasons for the the many species here. And yes, I mean, owls are. Um, you know, moving around. Uh, one of the, the, the very cool discoveries is you know, we used to think owls were pretty sedentary, but it turns out that actually they migrate as many uh, other birds do. And so sometimes you even probably get an occasional snowy owl here, you know, that, that finds its way down, uh, down south. Um, and barred owls are a species that are moving uh, west, you know, that they, they were much more uh, common in the more eastern part of the country, and now they're, they're moving west. So, um, but there are, you know, 260 species in the, in the world, and they, uh, they vary tremendously in, in size and in way of living and uh, lots of other uh, qualities. We, we've got uh, a recording of a barred owl, uh, not the one I recorded earlier. I'm not very good at this. But why, why don't we hear an actual barred owl hoot? <laughs> <laughs> Who cooks for you? <laughs> I, can't, I can't do the last bit. Some, some humans are really quite good at, at owl calls, though, right? Oh, absolutely. I worked with some people at the... Um, International Owl Center in Houston, Minnesota, and they they're an educational organization for owls. And one of the um, criteria for working there is that you have to be able you have to be good at imitating owls. <laughs> and uh, and they are some of them are phenomenal out there. It's really it's remarkable what the human uh, vocal apparatus can do to to imitate an owl. You know, I I uh, I don't think I realized before reading this book that um, that. A lot of owls are very itsy bitsy. We even, you know, you mentioned the elf owl is like the size of a pine cone. Yes. The northern pygmy, it's it's such a little thing. Yes, they're yeah. they're they're really tiny birds, and uh, you know they're but they're they're very fierce hunters. Even these li- really small birds, um, and they they. Um, the little ones in particular are actually prey for the bigger owls. So, you know, it's uh, the, the bigger owls are called super predators that because they actually predate on predators themselves. So it's a it's a it's a tough business being a little owl. But some of them are so feisty and fierce. The flammulated owl, the the elf owl, they're they're um, and the northern pygmy owl. Yeah, it's. Um, 
it's really a, a fierce little bird, and you just can't believe how much uh, power is packed into that tiny little body. Am I remembering right that that uh, burrowing owl uh, chicks can mimic the sound of a rattlesnake to keep people away from their, their little burrows? Yes, they can. It's absolutely remarkable. And the burrowing owl was actually one of my favorite species. Um, it's a it's a comical little owl. It has uh, looks like a, just a head on long, kind of stilt-like legs, um, and has a habit of sort of cocking its head um, and looking at you in, with great curiosity. But the chicks, if there's a um, maybe a, like a raccoon or a skunk that's threatening the burrow, these little birds will imitate the rattle of a rattlesnake so effectively that it really backs off the predator. And sometimes the researchers who are who are working with these birds can't tell whether there's an actual rattlesnake in the burrow or whether these are just chicks doing this extraordinary mimicry. Well, the phone lines are lighting up, and I, I don't want to hog you all to myself. <laughs> so why don't we take a call now? Let's go to Harriet in Long Beach. Hi, Harriet. Hi. Hi. So, so do I understand you've been watching owls for 20 years? Oh, probably over 20 years. But this particular family of great horned owls, oh, you can't hear me? Oh, oh, mm-hmm. uh, oh, that's okay. Well, can we'll, you hear me? I, I can hear you, Harriet. Uh, keep going. Okay, so these great horned owls have been nesting in the same place probably for the last 30 years. And my question is, are these the same parents? I mean, they, give, they have like four or five owlets every spring, and I watch them. And then they disappear, of course, till the next spring. But then they're back again. But who's back? Is it the parents coming back, or is it one of the chicklets coming back, nesting in the exact same place? Uh, so how long do they live? <laughs> how, yeah, how long do owls live? Uh, Harriet wants to know, and uh, and also, you know, are you likely to see the same uh, nesting pair going back to the same nest year upon year? Yes. Yeah, so the age span um, of lifespan of, of owls ranges tremendously, and um, so sometimes uh, the the little owls live, you know, just just a few years. Uh, the older owls can live much longer. Um, but they do return to their same nesting sites, and that's um, quite quite remarkable, really. That that uh, they they and they nest in um, not they don't build their own nests. You know, they commandeer the nests of other creatures. So um, they will, for instance, uh, settle in an old raven's nest or an old hawk's nest, and. Um, and then return to that nest, yeah, year after year. Tara in San Francisco asks, which species are prominent in urban areas? I heard one in Glen Canyon Sunday morning for the first time. Uh, I'm sorry, say. Oh, Tara in San Francisco asks, which species are prominent in urban areas? Oh, yes. So um, you've got uh, barred owls are certainly common in urban areas, and um, they're they're one of those very adaptable species. So you'll see those. You'll see great horned owls in um, in urban areas. Uh, sometimes burrowing owls actually will uh, will they'll nest in areas under pavement or um, in uh, you know in uh, uh, like piping and that sort of thing. Um, it's also a very adaptable species. I was uh, doing some research in in Brazil, and we were looking at uh, at burrowing owls and their um, 
moving into cities there and because some of their habitat is is being developed and, and destroyed. So they're, uh, they're very adaptable moving into cities. I do want to talk about the threats to their livelihood, uh, most especially uh, habitat destruction. But let's get another call in there. Hi, Lindy in Berkeley. Hi there. Lindy? Um, I want to call because I live in Berkeley on the flats area, and we've had many owls, including barn owls, um, that raised babies in a palm tree next to my house. But my question is about great horned owls. I have had two different owl hoots um, outside my house, varying um, in the winter and spring. One of them goes like this. And another one, so I know it's a different one, goes. So I'm wondering, can you tell the sex of an owl by its hoot? What a great question. First of all, I just have to applaud your ability to distinguish between these two voices because it's not an easy thing to do. Um, And you've clearly identified two separate individuals. Now, what you would think is that, so the female owl is bigger than the male. And you would think that that meant that she would have a deeper voice. But it's actually, in fact, the opposite. The female has a higher voice than the male, even though she's larger. So if there's a, um, a higher hooting, that's probably female. The lower hooting would probably be the male. But kudos to you, really. I'm impressed. I'm totally <laughs> impressed as well, Andy. Thank you so much for that. Uh, so, you know, we've been talking about uh, uh, owls, I guess, in urban and suburban environments. You know, a- am I right in thinking that the biggest threat to owl populations is the loss of habitat? Uh, and perhaps that the, the owls that are doing best in today's world are the ones that uh, can adapt to an urban habitat. Yes, absolutely. Habitat loss is, is by far the, the, the biggest threat for owls, um, the loss of of old growth forests you know these a lot of these owls uh, nest in hollows in old growth trees and when those sites go so go the owls um, it's really there's a great effort to, to uh, raise nesting boxes to try to replace some of those uh, nesting sites but that's a big um, a big factor also uh, the loss of grasslands uh, which are generally terrific hunting areas for some owls, um, and also nesting areas for the short-eared owls that uh, that nest in the on the ground in grasslands. So these are um, uh, some of the ways that 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 owls are really threatened by by habitat loss. And yes, the ones that are um, uh, you know most adaptable are these. Um, these species that can move in, they're, they're flexible in their habitat use. And uh, there's a, a, a very interesting owl, the, the long-eared owl in uh, Serbia. Is the, the, these you, you sort of think of owls as solitary creatures, but the owls in Serbia, in the villages there, they're, they're nesting and roosting in these big colonies in villages. And yeah, it's it's not something you expect to see. You know, hundreds of owls gathered together in one place. They're it's a, unionizing. Yeah. <laughs> 
it's really a spectacle. Um, and there's a lot of interesting information sharing going on in those colonies. But one of the reasons they're gathering there is because of habitat loss in the area. And also, they're, they, they, they're smart. There's protection in the villages, and they can keep warmer there. So um, so these owls are adapting in this way to uh, to environmental change. No doubt you've seen the headlines really all across North America, but certainly in the western U.S. We've we've had a lot of horrific wildfires in recent years, yeah. and, and then the rains came, and that destabilized a lot of trees as well. And so many owls like to nest in dead trees, uh, which leads to uh, this question from Mickey in Berkeley. Why and how do we need to protect the specialized habitats where owls lives? Uh, live, what happens when they can no longer live there? For instance, when we cut down trees, owls can't be part of the natural ecosystem. Yeah, it's a big problem. And, you know, people, <laughs> uh, some of the owls, like the great gray owl, um, is they nest in snags, you know, that they're dead trees that are left standing. And, you know, often they have just no branches, just a sort of um, uh, craggy top. And, uh, in, it has been practice really to to remove some of these snags because they're considered um, a hazard or they're you know a fire hazard, but they're in really important nesting sites for these owls. So you know the the uh, the management of forests I think is is shifting some now, which is uh, a very good thing. Let's take another call, Linnea in Napa. Hello. Hello. Um, I'm calling because I'm a professional wildlife rehabilitator, and I have the privilege to work closely with owls. Just wanted to share three things anybody can do to help protect owls in the community. Um, one would be to never use rat or mouse poison because it poisons their food. Um, second would be driving carefully at night, especially in more open grassland areas like Jennifer was mentioning. And um, lastly is directly in conjunction with what you're saying about the trees, is to save your tree trimming until um, late fall and winter to help protect their nest sites. Oh, what a great so idea. Anybody yeah. can do. Yeah, that that I guess answers the question. Yeah, don't don't be too quick to get rid of that uh, that uh, dead tree limb or dead tree. Right. Yeah. No, that those are all really excellent points. Um, I think the the uh, you know preserving those 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 dead trees and not trimming when the, during the nesting season when a lot of times owl nests come down with those uh, with those tree trims and you know people don't mean to. Uh, eliminate nesting habitat but but that's where they're do, what they're doing and the rodenticides a point is also very very important because um, this is a this is a big problem in um, in poisoning of owls because the the rats they eat the rodents they eat are uh, are carrying these these rat poisons so um, and the you know the other thing I learned working with some of these um, raptor rehabilitators people who work with owls who have been injured you know, we, we tend to sort of throw our, our apple cores from out, of, out the window of the car thinking, okay, it's biodegradable, you know, something will eat it. Well, something will eat it, but usually it's a, it's a small rodent or something that will come out to the road to eat the, uh, the apple core. And then an owl swoops down to take the rodent and gets hit by a car. So it's, um, it, you know, it's really important for us to just be mindful about um, how we're, you know, handling food and, and uh um, but thank you so much. Those are those are really great suggestions. 
We're, we're getting a, a lot of questions along this line, which is how to attract owls <laughs> into, into our backyard or into yes. our neighborhood. Skip writes, I'm trying to lure a barred owl to an owl box I installed about 15 feet off the ground on the side of a redwood tree. But having no success, can you offer any tips on how to invite barred owls instead of squirrels to the owl box? Ah, yes. It's it's challenging. I would say, number one, be patient. <laughs> and number two, um, create try to create owl, as, as productive owl habitat as you can in your yard. Now, this means like, you know, native plants, native grasses, you know, not mowing the lawn, that sort of thing. It, it, it creates a, a much richer and more diverse habitat for owls. I had a um, an owl box on the back of my um, on the maple tree, but just behind my house. Um, we had a kitchen window looking out on it, and I had to, to wait many years. But eventually, I did get an eastern screech owl roosting in that box, and it was such a treat. Um, it, you know, so I would I would encourage patience. Um, it will it may take time for them to find it, but uh, it it may happen. Jeff writes, the neighborhood I live in is plagued with gophers. I've read that barn owls are good at controlling gopher populations uh, and that erecting an owl house of sufficient size and height can encourage one to move in. Any advice on how to proceed here to successfully attract a barn owl in Fremont? Yes. Okay. Well, I would go online. There's some great designs for for, um, owl boxes that are specific to barn owls. And and I will say barn owls are the best friend of so many um, people, farmers and, um, you know, who the, the, the uh, they use barn owls to control the rodents that eat their, the grains in their fields. Um, they're using barn owls in, in South Africa to control urban uh, rodent populations. So yeah, they, these birds are tremendously useful and helpful in this in this regard. Uh, so I would encourage you to um, find the best uh, barn owl box design. And, and these birds are very, they're very smart, and they're very um, resourceful. So they, they will, they will likely find your, uh, your not kindly provided housing. <laughs> <laughs> Lisa in San Jose says, when the kids were young, barn owls used used to nest in the palm tree over our pool. They regurgitated owl pellets into and around the pool, which was cool for a hot minute. We dissected them. (laughs) Then the bones and crud just became a gross problem, and we learned we had to keep all of the dead leaves trimmed to keep them away. So that is something to bear in mind, folks, as we talk about all things owl with Jennifer Ackerman, science writer and author. Her new book is What an Owl Knows, The New Science of the World's Most Enigmatic Birds. Uh, the phone lines are lit up and the comments are rolling in because I think California is crazy for owls. But why not try to join the conversation in the short time we have left? Give us a call at 866-733-6786. Email uh, us at forum at kqed.org. But whatever you do, stay with us. You're listening to Forum. I'm Rachel Myro. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. 
Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Rachel Myro in for Mina Kim, and we are talking about owls, and in some cases singing about owls, which is why I'm excited about our next caller, Grace in Redwood City. Thank you for joining us. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Yes. Um, I just had maybe two questions. I was wondering if it was common for like two owls to do a call and response, because every now and then in the middle of the night, I'm pleasantly awakened by what I think are two owls maybe talking to each other. And so, um, can you do an impression? Kind of go, <laughs> sure, I could try. Um, one will go, and then what I assume to be another owl repeats the same pattern, but in a slightly different pitch. Um, so yeah, I'm just wondering if they're doing that on purpose or if it's some kind of communication. Yeah. Um, again, just uh, congratulations for for noting those differences. I love that people are listening this closely to to these owl calls. And yes, there's call and response going on probably between a male and a female. Um, the owls stay in touch with their their mates and their families this way. Um, so there's probably a uh, yeah. It's it's maybe not call and response, but it's a way of keeping uh, in in close contact and knowing where the other bird is. I guess that answers that question. Thank you so much for sharing all of that, Grace. Let's take another call, Peter in Oakland. Hi, Peter. Hello. Hi, Rachel and Jennifer, and um, just great conversation. Um, So I grew up in Lusaka, Zambia, and uh, we had a big um, uh, marula tree right in front of the apartment building, and owls would come in there and, you know, in the night, and they would make these hissing noises, these sounds, we're like, shh. But the belief around was that owls were um, used in wizardry and witchcraft and all these things. And so we were scared of them, kind of the the similar mystique with black cats. And that was the belief. And so if we were walking outside at night, we would run inside, you know, try and get home as quickly as possible. And then this one neighbor woman would actually come out and just, you know, just say all kinds of unpalatables at them and just yell out into the night to chase them away and the evil spirits that accompanies them. So just, you know, like that's the way I grew up. And that was kind of my relationship with owls until pretty much later in life. Everything that kind of seems is fascinating about them, you know, the head swivel, all of that, were things that we were scared of. The big eyes, we were scared of that. We were told that if they look into your eyes and something bad would happen to a family member or something. So I just wondered if, Jennifer, you've come across anything like that or heard anything about that in your research and um, if that is uh, maybe common around the world or if it was just particular to Zambia or in Africa. No, Peter, thank you so much. It was really fascinating and you bring up such a good point. Um, there are many places in the world where owls are considered 
bearers of bad tidings or evil omens. Um, they're they're spooky. They're they, you know they often are associated with um, with death and. So no, Zambia is not alone in that way, and um, there are places in uh, Belize, other parts of Africa, Kenya, that um, that that hold similar beliefs. That one very common belief is that uh, if an owl comes to your house and calls, that someone in the house will either get sick or die. So there are these these very negative associations with owls in some places, and then in others they're revered. You know, they're the Ainu people of Japan consider the Blackestons fish owl a protector of their villages, and uh, the Yagan people of um, Tierra del Fuego they uh, call the barn owl the Sira, the the wise grandmother who brings and provides fresh water for the for the cultures. So there's tremendous uh, variation in attitudes around the world. And, um, it, you know, it's, I think, one of the really fascinating things that, that owls have really obsessed humans in one way or another for, for literally tens of thousands of years. That's a wonderful, wonderful uh, story and question, Peter. You know, it, it does seem, Jennifer, the owl has a mystical, mythical perch in the imagination. And, you know, nearly every person here, uh, whether they are under 18 or over, is thinking probably right now of the fictional owl, uh, Hedwig, Harry Potter's snowy owl. Um, has has uh, has Hedwig been a good ambassador for human <laughs> to owl relations, or or has it been problematic? Well, I think it's been a little bit of both. Um, I think people got very very interested in owls when the Harry Potter books came out, and um, so that you know, the, inspiring curiosity and awe and wonder in at owls is always a good thing. Unfortunately, it also promoted the idea that owls might make good pets. And in um, some parts of the world, you know, that they used to, they, they, for instance, in Indonesia, there are bird markets where people buy birds for pets. And uh, for years and years and years, there were no owls in the market at all. And then after the Harry Potter books hit Indonesia, there are now owls sold in those in those bird markets. And um, it when the Harry Potter books first came out in the UK, it spurred this wave of of interest of young people wanting pet owls. And there's just, it's a terrible idea to have a pet owl. I mean, they are wild creatures. They need a wild existence. And um, and they feed on, you know, a, a living prey. And they have these very razor-sharp talons. Um, and so they shred things constantly. They're, you know, they... they they eject pellets and um, they poop and they're they're just not good pets. Uh, so uh, I would, uh, yeah, I would. It in fact in the U.S. it's illegal to keep um, pet owls, but uh, yeah. So I think it was a mixed mixed legacy there. Um, yeah, I imagine too. You just crush their spirit. They're not designed to live indoors no, with humans. No, certainly not in a yeah. in a cage of any kind or indoors. No, they're they're so beautifully uh, adapted to their life in the wild and you know, I think it is um, it, it it's it's just hurts the heart to think about them um, being uh, yeah, kept. You know, as we're talking about pets, I I'm wondering if you could talk about the the ways that that owls um, 
uh, either share things in common with house cats or, or or different from house cats. We know that some owls will eat house cats <laughs> and also that house cats will eat some owls. Yes, yes. Well, it's an interesting analogy. Um, and, and I think that especially the eared owls, like the great horned owl and the long-eared owl, you know, they have these these tufts that are that are actually called plumicorns. Um, they they look like ears, but they're not. They're the owl, the ear of an owl is actually just a little um, opening in the side of its head. But these plumicorns make them look um, kind of cat-like. And um, and I think it's uh, it's interesting in their demeanor. I mean, you know, they're they're both. Quiet, stealthy, um, standoffish, independent, <laughs> <yes>. aloof, <laughs> judgy. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes they're both owly in that way. Yes, um, but the uh, there's a, a wonderful woman, uh, Robin Fleming, who's a uh, curator at, or she's a research librarian at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and she was inspired by her cat to um, to go on an owl search at the Metropolitan Museum, and she found actually 600 images of owls um, throughout the the collection there. But she says it was it was this very odd beginning to her her journey with owls was this this resemblance to her cat. <laughs> I have to say, folks, I have a cat named Owl because she looks like an owl and also behaves like an owl. But I, I want to assure everybody that this is a cat who's kept indoors so that she doesn't do any hunting. I think we've got time for a call now. How about Cheryl in San Luis Obispo? Hi, Cheryl. Hi there. Hi there. Um, first of all, I loved your book, The Genius of Birds. My son got it for me. The only book he ever got me, but he got me that book. And I really enjoyed it. My question is, I've moved from the Bay Area to San Luis Obispo. There's a lot of open space here and a lot of birds of prey. I have two redwood trees right next to my house, and I would like to attract some owls because I've actually never seen an owl in the wild. And I'm concerned about the other large birds of prey possibly honing in on the owls. Is that something I should be concerned about or no? Well, it's true for the, especially the little owls are vulnerable to um, to the bigger birds of prey. Uh, a bird like the great horned owl, um, probably the great gray owl, those owls are not going to be um, bothered too much by the the other kinds of birds of prey. But you can't, you know, you can't pick which which owls you attract to your to your area. <laughs> They're just going to come if they come, and um, and you know they the they're very um, they're they're very skilled and they're very aware of what is living around them. So they're they're not going to settle and nest necessarily in an area that that abounds in um, in big birds of prey. Uh, yeah, I, I hope that set, sets your mind uh, at ease at least a little bit, Cheryl. Thank you for that. Let's take another call, Rob in San Francisco. Hi, Rob. Hi, thank you. Um, I think owls are the one of the coolest bird species out there. Um, but we, I have a question about the, um, the California spotted owls that were all in the news, you know, back in the 1980s uh, for being threatened. And there were a lot of logging restrictions that were enacted. Uh, as a matter of fact, a friend of mine used to be an owl counter for the Forest Service. Um, we have a quarter section of uh, timber up in the Stanislaus National Forest, and we've had uh, uh, spotted owls visit us over the years as I was growing up. As a matter of fact, one time during the day, 
Uh, they dive-bombed our cat during broad daylight. But we would hear them at night occasionally around the campfire because they have a distinctive kind of a bark. They don't hoot uh, like a regular uh, great horned owl does, which we also have up there. In 1987, we had a, a devastating fire come through, and it took out some of our big trees. But we still maintained a lot of our uh, mixed old-growth timber. Um, but the owls started to show up less and less until they just kind of faded out. And mm-hmm. we still get occasional great horned owls uh, that we hear. But the, the spotted owls, I haven't heard probably since about 1990. And was wondering, are there still um, you know, spotted owls in California? Are they, are they hanging in there? Uh, yeah, they they are hanging in there, but it's um, their populations are diminishing um, primarily because of habitat loss, but also because there's competition with the barred owl, which is moving into their to their habitat, and it's um, you know it's a pretty aggressive owl. So yeah, the the spotted owls, northern spotted owl, California spotted owl, um, are are both in trouble. Uh, the California spotted owl is doing a little bit better, um, and. So, you know, I think it's, um, we're all keeping our fingers crossed, and I know there's a lot of conservation work going on um, to protect these species. So, you know, hoping, hoping for the best on that, and, uh, um, you know, we'll, we'll have to see how it unfolds. Thank you so much for that question, Rob. This is Forum. I'm Rachel Myro in for Mina Kim. Well, it just so happens we have California spotted owl sounds uh, ready to go. <laughs> Why don't we listen to that? So, wow! Yeah, there's the. I love the 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 variety of calls with owls. There's a there's actually a, a an Australian species called the barking owl. Which um, which sounds just like a barking dog. <laughs> you can't believe it. <laughs> it's like, are we sure that's an owl? <laughs> uh, it's it just just amazing uh, how how much they differ. I'm I'm wondering. You know, we've been talking about you know invasive owls. We've been talking about uh, habitat loss, and um, I'm I'm wondering uh, about another horrific thing that's been going around: the the uh, contagious strain of avian. Influenza. How has that impacted? Yeah, you know, I don't exactly know the answer to that, um, but I do. I do know that the that the people, especially who are working in you know raptor rehabilitation centers, are very aware of the risks here, and they um, are, you know, when when a bird comes in ill, they will um, isolate it, and uh, and you know, everybody's watching very closely for for signs. Is it? Uh, yeah, I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who, as as we're talking, they're you know online researching owl boxes, right? You know, like should they not be doing that at this time, or or is that not the two not related? No, I think I think it's fine to um, encourage people to create owl habitat in in whatever way they can, and um, you know that's uh, owls do need our help. They really do, and so you know raising owl boxes, creating habitat, um, it's really it's important important work for all of us. Well, with that in mind, why don't we take a ne- another call, Sarah in Milpitas? H- hi, hi. Thanks for taking my call. Um, so. My question is related to um, installing an owl box in our backyard tree. We have a big tall tree, and we have seen a great horned owl sit up there for a couple of hours. So we're trying to invite him back or 
another great horned owl. But the problem is I have young kids and our neighbors have three dogs. One of them is pretty small. And we also have um, pet chickens who are living in an, an enclosed chicken coop. But sometimes they do get free reign in the backyard. Should I, should, uh, should I be concerned about inviting an owl into my yard? Well, like if, it, if it were to have babies, like would it become protective and aggressive against dogs, children, and then maybe try to eat some chickens? Uh, yes, and I think I would start with the try to eat some chickens. <laughs> That's probably <laughs> going to be its first first order of business. I, I have cousins okay. who live in Idaho who are struggling because they have great horns above their chicken coop, and um, they have lost chickens to this these birds. Um, they're nesting there, and you know that's um that's pretty easy pickings for a for a great horned owl um so yeah i don't if you're if you're concerned about your ki- your chickens i think maybe maybe inviting in a great horned owl is, is not a terrific idea <laughs> well grim news but uh, but honest news sarah thank you so much for that question pamela writes it was mentioned earlier that owls are good at math i'd love to hear more about that <laughs> owls are good at math yeah hmm. Yeah, well, um, you know, most birds can count to some degree, um, and and uh, uh, this is particularly, I think, been studied in other species, uh, but uh, and other families of birds, I think, you know, but but birds, they they uh, they do like, um, you know, uh, they do very basic math, and um, for sure, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> just a little like geometry, <laughs> trigonometry, that sort of thing. Um, let's see. Uh, I think we might have time for one more uh, one more question. Who are owls' closest relatives? When did they arise and where? Okay, so this is a very interesting um, surprise. You know, we used to think that that owls were related to potus and night jars and other kind of night birds. And then we thought, oh, they're related to hawks because of their lifestyle. But it turns out that their closest relatives are actually mouse birds, kingfishers, um, birds that you just you would not necessarily associate with owls. But, um, but the, you know, they all date back to um, a common uh, day active uh, ancestral bird. And then owls took this very interesting path into the night. Um, and it happened around the time that um, the the dinosaur, big dinosaurs went extinct and mammals kind of started to occupy different kinds of niches. Owls took advantage of those niches. And now we have these extraordinary uh, night birds. Jennifer Ackerman, this has been an absolute thrill. Thank you so much for coming in to talk with us Thank today. you. What a delight to be here. We've been talking with Jennifer Ackerman. Uh, her new book is What an Owl Knows, the New Science of the World's Most Enigmatic Birds. She has a couple of events in the Bay Area this weekend. She'll be at Copperfields in Petaluma tonight at 7, and tomorrow, June 17th, at Corte Madera's Book Passage at 1 p.m., and then the Arenda Library at 2 p.m. This hour of form is produced by Caroline Smith, Juan Carlos Lara, Jennifer Ng, Dan Zoll, and Grace Wan. Uh, Marlena Jackson-Rotondo is our engagement producer, and Susie Britton is our lead producer. Our engineers are Danny Bringer and Brendan Willard. Our interns are Lula Ralda and Jericho Reininger. Our vice president of news is Ethan Tovin Lindsay, and our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. Thanks to all our listeners for their calls and comments this hour. Have a hoot this weekend. I'm Rachel Myro. Thanks for joining us.
Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Soul to Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Soul to Story are available now.